murder, divorce, drugs. Our courts are full of stories, scary, sad, and hilarious. Most are tales stranger than fiction. These are true law stories, brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com, the ultimate resource for customer and client video stories. All right, on this crazy true law stories, we're talking more about what's going on in Florida insurance and how bad it is. Because J.D. Moises here of Moises Gross was going to tell us a little bit about how they caught one insurance company, an engineer, expert lying about Hurricane Irma, pretending like it pretty much didn't happen, finally in a fraud, fraudulent affidavit, and how he used blue tarps in the Freedom Information Act to counteract that. And we're going to talk a little bit about how does these new insurance laws are actually threatening the health of Floridians. All this on True Law Stories. But before we get started, of course, this is brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. One of the best ways to grow your business is through your client stories. Go to VideoCaseStory.com, learn how we can help you collect, craft, and deliver those all throughout the internet. All right, let's get started. Oh. Yeah, you were, we were talking and you, tell us a little bit real quick about what you do and how you do it and what's been going on. Yeah, so basically I am a insurance litigation attorney. We represent policyholders whenever they have to sue their own insurance companies to either get properly indemnified or to overturn an incorrect coverage determination by the insurance company. Being in South Florida and hailing from Coral Gables, the majority of that kind of insurance dispute work that you see in a first party perspective is related around property damage because we're in an area that is frequented by natural disasters in the form of hurricanes. It's no surprise that the insurance companies get bulks of claims as a result of the hurricanes and they try to do what they can to make sure that they pay appropriately what they deem should be paid. The industry itself like, has changed dramatically from back when I started doing this, I don't know, more than 10 years ago to now, because before the insurance companies, they always have a fiduciary duty to their own insureds. If you were to call them because you thought that you had damage that was covered and they went out and they, their field adjuster did an inspection and determined that that damage wasn't covered, but noticed that you had another situation going on in your property. And that would likely be covered under the policy. They would tell you like, look, this issue here isn't covered, but have you noticed that you had this issue here and that is covered under your policy? So you should present a claim for that. So there was a lot more, I guess you could say camaraderie or support or your insurance company had your back in those moments. Along the way, either because of an increase in volume of claims, Mm -hmm. whether legitimate or illegitimate or whatever the case may be, the insurance company started like tightening up, changing the way that they approached claims, trying to basically cut corners, set up denials, just do things not in the best interest of their insurance and more so in the company's best interest. And I started to see that more and more as we're litigating cases because essentially, realistically, the people that were getting paid are getting paid what they correctly were entitled to under the terms of the policy were people that were hiring professionals to help them like public adjusters and attorneys. Cause the ones that weren't were just, Oh, my claim got denied. I'll go figure out where I'm going to get the money from to fix my house and just call it a day 
and not bother with the insurance company anymore. Or there were even batches of people that just were not interested in going through the claims process based off of other people's experiences that they heard about in going through it. So the insurance companies played that numbers game when you go out and you're single and you're trying to find a companion and you're just, I can either go after as many people as I possibly can numerically and put as much bait out there and see which fish bites, or you could take the targeted approach and wait for someone that you really and go all in there and if they strike out. So they obviously were playing the numbers game and seeing, okay, if we deny 10 presented claims, how many of those people are going to go and hire public adjusters and attorneys in order to continue to pursue the claim? And then the statistic worked out to, I don't know, three out of 10, five out of 10 would. So the amount of money that they were saving on the people that just would go away was significant enough to where it encouraged them to make people jump through hoops on the other stuff. Fast forward to 2019, And the legislature in Florida is getting pressure from lobbyists for the insurance companies to basically pass more favorable legislation, citing to the fact that they're going to have to just hike premiums arbitrarily and to ridiculous amounts, making property insurance inherently unaffordable in the state, costing for some people more than what they're paying in their mortgage a month. You're starting to get all these ripple effects, right? And they're blaming the litigation and they're blaming fraudulent claims and they're blaming unscrupulous attorneys and contractors and insureds and the whole nine. And they're citing to things like statistics that are skewed and one-sided and they don't actually present the full picture. I forgot what the exact numbers were, but it was something like Florida's responsible for 9% of all property claims in the nation, and we're also responsible for 75% of all litigation or something like that. So they were presenting stats like that to the legislature. And since 2019, the legislature started dialing back a lot of the consumers' rights, right, in the state. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, I don't know if it matters which side you're on, but this was Mm -hmm. the largest transfer of rights from one group to another, most likely in this state's history. And I'm talking about consumers giving up rights and transferring the power of those rights to the insurance companies. Because the statutes that started in 2019 were the assignment of benefits statutes, which under any other contract in the state you're allowed, unless the contract says on its face that you're not allowed to assign you know, the contract, you're allowed to assign your position in the contract to another party. It's just basic contractual principles of law. Like you can enter into a real estate contract and you can, as long as the contract is assignable, if you find someone else to pay more for that same property than what you have another contract for, you can charge them a fee and say, I'll assign this contract to you for... I don't know, $25,000 and you make money flipping the contract because you got it on your contract at a better deal. And that's not illegal. It's There's no statute that prevents that. It happens every day. It's perfectly okay. So for a homeowner to tell a contractor, hey, I have this problem at my house. I don't necessarily have the money to pay out of pocket for you to help me put a stop to it and prevent it from getting worse. I'm going to need to assign a portion of my rights under my insurance policy to you so that you can get paid for the work that you're doing and I can get paid to restore the property. 
if done correctly, if done within the proper confinements and structure, that's a very good system. That's a very good benefit to homeowners, especially where the statistic is that a majority of people have $400 stored away for a rainy day as their like savings. So most people cannot put a $2,000 bill to put a tarp on the roof. And every time it gets messed up, call that company and pay them again and again to replace that tarp while the insurance company takes their time in figuring out whether they want to pay and how much they want to pay and all that kind of stuff. It also, that was what happened in 2019. But since 2019, the insurance lobby focused more on forget about the contractors. We've already got what we wanted. Let's go after the homeowners and the property owners rights now. And this wasn't just limited to first party property. This insurance, like it's not just property insurance, it's any first party insurance. So life insurance, health insurance, and I'll give you some examples of some that are more egregious that you could probably identify with outside of a property perspective. On the property side, though, you know, you already had a system where the insurance companies have more legal resources and money than the homeowners. So like the plaintiff's attorneys are normally pretty outgunned for the most part because you're dealing with a, an opponent that has a much deeper bankroll. So they can bankroll the litigation and write it out a lot longer and just do all these things. So people get tired and walk away or take less money than they're entitled to. All these statutes keep getting passed to the point where now there is or there are as of January, any insurance policy that renews on or after January 1st of this year, there is no longer a right to statutory attorney's fees if you can prove that the insurance company breached the contract of the insurance policy. So before policyholders were in a situation where they could hire an attorney, it wouldn't cost them anything out of pocket, the attorney would vet the case, figure out whether there was a likelihood of recovery or not. And if there was a likelihood of recovery, take on the case, front all the money for all the costs to litigate that case. And then ultimately, homeowner gets paid what their damages are, what they're entitled to under the contract, less their deductible, stuff like that. And all the attorney's fees and costs are paid in addition to that, instead of it coming from that damage amount that you're getting paid to restore your house, right? Because if you have to pay an attorney a third of your recovery and you have $100,000 of damage, and then you have to pay that attorney $33,000, you're going to end up with $66,000, but you have $100,000 of damage. So where are you going to get the other $33,000 to finish fixing your house. Like the situation that you're in now is as a consumer, you're never going to get, or you're never going to be able to get the full benefit of your insurance policy. Because even if your insurance company pays that out to you, you would have had to have contracted another person or another company or another professional to assist you in getting that and they're going to charge you against that recovery, whether it's a public adjuster or an attorney. In that sense, it's really put people, in my opinion, no-win scenario. Like you basically, it was the battle between David and Goliath and then you basically told David, hey, I'm going to take away your slingshot and not <laughs> only am I going to take it away from you, but I'm going to give it to Goliath. So now you got to fight Goliath with nothing and he's going to have your slingshot. So that's what happened in that regard. And if you want me to give you that example of the case, right? Of yeah. something crazy happening, 
this happened prior to this statutory change, right? So this elderly couple who's retired, has a house in Weston, had, or this is a house that they rent out that's paid for, that they rely on the income, rental income to supplement their, their government payments, monthly payments for being disabled and being retired and all that kind of stuff. So their social security and all that stuff. This property had a tenant in it. Hurricane Irma comes, the property gets damaged. They report the claim, the claim gets denied. And we're there litigating the claim for, I want to say three years. Okay. And we're coming up on trial. They hired an expert. I deposed their expert, who's a structural engineer. This isn't like a Mickey Mouse kind of guy. Works at a well-known engineering company that does expert work in the fields of like construction defect, property damage, all that kind of stuff. So I get him in the deposition and he remarks that the wind speeds from Hurricane Irma in the Western area were not high enough to cause any structural damages to any properties that they were only high enough to knock over a couple fences and mailboxes and stuff like that, that it wasn't that serious. Yeah. So I'm like, (laughs) this guy is lying through his teeth. How can I, like, how can I prove that this guy is just the, during, I already knew what happened during the deposition prep, citizens attorney coached this guy on what to say, told him exactly what to say. This guy said it, it has no logical kind of backing in science and I'm a nerd. So I love this stuff. So I'm like, okay, the federal government puts out a formal report for every single storm. It's the national oceanic and atmospheric association. They put out findings for, from the hurricanes, from government maintained weather stations. And it, they put the longitude and latitude of each weather station. So one of the things that like their experts love to do is look at historical weather patterns that are nowhere near the property and they get like the lowest speed winds and they're like, Oh, look. So what I did was I got the latitude and longitude of my client's property. I then pulled up that NOAA report and I looked for the weather stations that were closest to like my client's property. And I'm talking like super, like less within a mile kind of thing. And government maintained weather stations. So you know that they're accurate, all that kind of stuff. I discovered that the wind speeds were like something insane. I don't even know how many knots. I think it was like 89 knots, 90 something knots that when you convert knots to miles per hour, you're talking about hundred plus mile an hour wind gusts, right? So I was like, this is great. So then like a light bulb went off in my head and I was like, um, how can I prove that citizens is lying? Because this guy like stuck to his guns in the deposition. He wasn't going to come off that. So we use this like aerial imaging software called NearMap, right? And NearMap, the reason I like NearMap better than Eagle Views from satellites. So it's from like outer space. The, the quality of the pictures are not that they're still great they're not that good right it's kind of like google earth near map does flyovers with like high-powered cameras like multiple times a year and they use those images as the images for their aerial photography so i said if what this guy said is true then when i go look at the historical aerials of my client's property and all the surrounding properties i shouldn't see a single blue tarp pop up because no properties got damaged. <laughs> so I did that. And then every property that had a blue tarp 
that was popping up within like a 10 mile radius of my client's house, I would write down the address and then I would go to the Broward County property appraiser website and search based on the address who the owners of that property were. So I would get the owner's names. Then once I got the owner's names, I went to the Broward County clerk of court website and I searched their names as plaintiffs from three or what was it? I think it was 90 days after Hurricane Irma hit, which was the time that the first lawsuit could have been filed all the way up until the cutoff point for Hurricane Irma lawsuits getting filed. So I pulled it up and I started to see all these people and make a spreadsheet of how many of them had claims, how many of them were paid before filing suits. Like the insurance company did their investigation and said, we find that there is wind damage related to a hurricane at your property. Like they didn't buy their piece in litigation. This wasn't to get a release and a dismissal. Like they can't claim any of that. So I made a list of all of those. I reached out to those people's lawyers. I was like, hey man, it's me. I'm working on this case. Have you signed confidentiality yet? Can you give me a copy of your file so I can see what citizens did? You know, oh shit, shouldn't have said that. All right, what the insurance company did and all that fun stuff. I right. got a couple. Say, hey, JD, let me just put yeah. a note here. Guys, make sure to edit that out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got the files put together, a discovery request to the insurance company asking for information related to 38 properties that I was able to identify were properties that they paid to suit. Uh, and this, that, that was 38 of this insurance company specifically not i obviously filtered out all the other carriers because i knew that they were going to say everybody has different guidelines for adjusting claims we're not obligated to pay the same kind of claims that carrier pays we could do our own thing so i filtered all those out and i kept it specific only to this insurance company because you don't get to selectively enforce the terms of your insurance policy against different consumers if they all have the same terms in their policy because then, you know, that's, it's like constitutionally like discriminatory. Like you pay yeah. certain people, you don't pay others. Everybody's paying the same premium. Everybody has the same policy, like all that fun jazz. I knew that they were going to give me significant pushback because mm-hmm. I already had the goods on them. And I had figured out that they paid one of my client's neighbors that was like 465 feet away from my client's house. And they all live in the same homeowners community. So all the properties were built by the same people had similarly aged roofs. Like you come on, you can't tell me that you're going to pay a little neighbor of this, of one of your own insurance and then deny the other one because of age related wear, tear and deterioration. So they keep doubling down. It's like a knockdown drag out fight to try to get this information from them. I send 38 freedom of information act requests to this insurance company, one per property, because They're a quasi-governmental insurance company in the state. They're not purely private, so they have to produce those records. Um, So I was fighting them on getting those same records on two fronts, like one in the litigation and one outside of the litigation with with the Freedom of Information Act request. It got to the point that I... So the judge ordered that they give me the information, but narrowed my radius to one mile instead of 10 miles, which didn't matter because I really just needed the neighbor and that was it. And that was like the smoking gun. The judge gave them an alto and said, 
if it's too difficult for you to put together this information in lieu of providing the information, you can provide an affidavit from a corporate representative saying why it's such a challenge to put this information together and produce it and you'll be excused from producing it. Yeah, I swear to God. So in, <laughs> in their infinite wisdom, they had literally the same person that I was going back and forth with over email on the Freedom of Information Act request prepare an affidavit saying that it would take them 40 hours per file, like per person that they insure in a one mile radius to figure out if they paid that that claim, how much they paid that claim, all that kind of stuff. And they were saying that they insured, I don't know, like 86 different properties in that one mile radius. So I was like 86 times 40. I was like, so they're basically saying it would take them like over a year, essentially in time to get this information. I was like, that doesn't make any sense because I have their internal claim records from other cases that they've produced to us. So I know how they keep their reserves yeah. noted and all that stuff. And it's all in CRM style software where, oh, I want to click into this file and see. And it's like literally in your face. Like it's, it probably yeah. would have taken a total of, I don't know, five minutes to figure this whole thing out. I grew increasingly annoyed because I don't like this whole like pull the wool, the sheep or the eyes of whatever. So I'm like, I don't agree with this affidavit. I feel like this affidavit is fraud. I feel like they're committing a fraud on the court. So I file a motion asking the court to have them explain this affidavit because it does not make any sense because I was able to identify the 38 properties just using public records, not even having the information. I didn't even know who they insured. Like I had to figure all this out from scratch and the entire process did not take me 40 hours. So for them to take yeah. 40 hours on one claim is insane. Would it take them 40 hours to figure that out? If the IRS asked them like, Hey, I need to see your financials to make sure that, you know, you're being taxed <laughs> properly. I doubt it. So the judge then tells them, okay, you got to produce this guy by such and such time in, in order for me to question him about this affidavit. And I'm like, Oh my God, I got him. I got him committing fraud on the court. This is going to be great. And this was like at the same time that they were pushing to pass the statute. So I was like, I'll be able to take this to the legislature and show them like that. This is just a microcosm of what's really going on that we deal with day in and day out. The insurance company like knew that they were in so in trouble so bad that they just turned around and filed a confession of judgment. So that's it. Case over, no trial, nothing, no explanation. I get so pissed that I file a motion to set aside the confession of judgment on the basis that they didn't admit to owing interest on the underlying judgment amount. And the judge was like, do you call the hearing, ask the opposing counsel, do you have the authority to agree to interest right now? Because if you don't, I need that witness here by two o'clock to be questioned. And she was like, let me call my client and we just leave this open and I promise I'll get back to Mr. Moises by such and such time and blah, 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 blah. And then they ended up agreeing to pay the interest. And I was like, but judge, come on, this was fraud. And she said, this is resolved. Like I don't have jurisdiction over this anymore. So I can't. And I was just like, wow, I cannot believe that they're going to get away with filing a fraudulent affidavit to a judge in a courtroom. Like 
I was just like, man, I cannot wow. believe, yeah, that we're not going to hold these people to task. Yeah, oh so that God. was my crazy story. That is crazy. It's yeah. just, and I'm sure, like, oh, I've heard from this over and over again. It's just, it's getting worse and worse. These insurance companies are so, just don't want to pay people. <laughs> forget about the house, right? That was like the Mickey Mouse example. There's guys like me, we're the bad guys, whatever. But the statute that got passed was not limited to property insurance. So let's say you have a life insurance policy, you know, your family, your kids and your wife, whatever the beneficiaries, it's a million dollar life insurance policy. You pass away, insurance company says, hey, listen, he actually was like, I'll give you a perfect example. This actually happened. You're diagnosed with stage four terminal cancer. You're, the doctor tells you you've got less than six months left to live. You don't want to put your family through that. So you kill yourself, right? You're like, I don't know, drive away somewhere and commit removed assisted suicide, whatever. Now, your life insurance policy has a suicide exclusion, obviously, because that's there to prevent someone from getting life insurance and then turning around and immediately killing themselves so that <laughs> their family makes money. Like, obviously, this person had this policy for years and years and years and years. They were elderly. They got diagnosed with stage four cancer. They were going to die anyways. They, but the insurance company denied it because they committed suicide. So that now the family is not getting those benefits. In the world that existed before, that family wouldn't have to pay an attorney out of pocket or wouldn't have to give up a, a percentage of that life insurance policy in order to hire an attorney. They would have been able to have hired the attorney and the attorney, assuming the attorney successful in recovering the death benefits that were denied, is able to get all of their attorney's fees and costs paid by the insurance company on top of the recovery for that person. So now you've definitely set up this like, barrier to challenge the decisions made by the insurance company that really disproportionately affects the lower and middle socioeconomic classes because those are the ones that don't have the money to fork out to go hire a lawyer because people who with money obviously have the money to be able to go and pay a, an attorney to fight the carrier's decision if they don't agree with it so realistically like you know yeah you eliminated a lot of litigation and you eliminated a lot of costs for the carriers but it was such a broad swoop that it eliminated a lot more of the legitimate people that needed help that really didn't have anywhere else to turn versus the people that were abusing the system. You know what I mean? Yeah. Another example is in healthcare insurance. If you go to your doctor and your doctor says, you have this condition and you need to get this specific treatment for it. And it's an expensive surgery followed by rehab, followed by X, Y, and Z. And that's your doctor's opinion. And your doctor's a specialist the whole night. And you guys present that to your insurance company and your insurance company rejects it and says, well, our independent medical evaluator said that he doesn't need that treatment, that he can get away with a much less invasive, like rehab only based treatment that's much less expensive. So we're not going to approve this other treatment. We're not going to pay for it. Now what? 
Now, if you don't have the money to pay for that treatment that your doctor's recommending out of pocket, and you don't have the money to pay for a lawyer to go sue your health insurance carrier and challenge this, which by the way, the timeliness of the treatment that you need now comes into play because you're in litigation and they can drag it out for a year or two years until you either run out of money or you get so desperate that you're like, I'll take whatever treatment I, and these people are willing to pay for because I can't live like this. Those are the things that no one is talking about. You know what I mean? And that no one has thought out how, what are the ripple effects really of this law? Yeah. Not just on the property side, because that what ended up happening was the property insurance was the focus because those were the premiums that were going up. That was the thing that was like unsustainable, unreasonable, the whole nine. Somehow they were able to pass legislation that was not centered on property insurance. It was centered on any and all first party insurance, pet insurance, homeowners insurance, life insurance, health insurance, your car insurance, you know what I mean? Yeah. They basically have carte blanche right now to stick it to you. On your homeowner insurance policy, if you have a $40,000 loss to your property, like a water leak that caused $40,000 in damage, and assuming you don't have a $10,000 water damage cap, if your insurance company says, oh, okay, you have $40,000 in damages, we're going to pay you $10,000. Okay. Now you're like, where do I get the other 30 from? And I'm talking 40 in legit damages, not like an estimate of 40 that, you know, you really have, I don't know, 30 in damages. If you try to double back and sue the insurance company through an attorney for that $30,000 difference, and the attorney is going to charge you the max that they can charge, which is 33 and a third percent, that's $9,000. I have to pay roughly $475 for the lawsuit, $10 for the summons. for service of process. If I have to pay for a court reporter to be at a hearing, a deposition, you're talking 150, 200 bucks a pop. If I have to order deposition transcripts, depending on the length of the deposition, it's per page. So you're talking 750 bucks, 900 bucks. If it's an expert depot, those go on longer. You're talking north of a thousand dollars. If I have to hire an expert, like a general contractor, a structural engineer, you're talking $2,500, $3,500. Like I cannot take on that case for $9,000. I, I, mathematically, I just cannot do it. Like we're, we've already ran the numbers. It doesn't make sense for us to take on a case that's less than $75,000 in actual damages. You know what I mean? At, yeah. at a third. And even then we got to be careful not to over litigate the case because then you're going to end up upside down. So a lot of people are have gotten their rights, their ability to hold people like people that they're on their contract with accountable if they decide to not fulfill their obligations and their responsibilities. Like that right has been completely stripped. So essentially now people are paying insane money for non-performing contracts. Because the insurance companies are never going to perform on these contracts because they're in an environment that's right for them to act that way. You know what I mean? Without consequences. Yeah. It's insane. It's insane. And it was the rumor. I don't have this on like, I don't have the hardcore evidence of this yet, 
I'm not like actually like digging for it, but it's coming out little by little because like investigative journalists are already looking into this. But the rumor is that Ron DeSantis facilitated this because obviously he's running for president and the insurance lobby guaranteed him an asinine amount of money to his campaign for him to be able to run for president. So it was like a very quid pro quo thing. You do for us, we do for you. Yeah. Oh, is that a surprise? (laughs) Shocker. (laughs) A politician taking money to do something wrong and not protect someone to get more money. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's just crazy. It's scary. And we're just at the beginning of it. And it's going to really hurt a lot of people. And uh, yeah. Oh, man. JD, obviously, you can still help people with this. Tell me a little bit about getting in touch with your firm. What's the best way to get in touch with you if I do have an insurance problem? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is www.moisesgross.com. So that's Moises, M like Mary, O-I-S like Sam, E-S and gross like, oh, that's gross, (laughs) G-R-O-S. My partner, Daniel Gross. Our phone number is 305-306-3055. My personal email is jd at moisesgross.com. Email me and I'll be more than happy to help in any way that I can. So yeah, that's pretty much how we have Instagram, all that fun stuff. It's all linked on the website. I don't know. What the, I think the handles are Moises Gross Law. If I'm not that would mistaken. make sense. Yeah. Yeah, we'll put links to all that in the show notes. But JD, thank you so much for being on True Law Stories and telling us all about what's going on right now. Thank you for, for having me, man. It was my pleasure. Yeah, and thank you all for taking JD and I our journey. Mm-hmm. It's been I and Garlic and True Law Stories. True Law Stories has been brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. Testimonials stink. No one wants to watch a testimonial or read a case study. You need Video Case Stories for your business. Go to VideoCaseStory.com to learn more.